Ben works with World Outreach International. It's an international organization that serves um, least reach people groups. So he might talk a little bit more about that, but um, been part of our church for a long time, just overseas, extended. We're global, right? <laughs> so we're so thankful. I'm so thankful for his input, his wisdom, his skills. So let's just welcome Ben, everybody. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. It's good to see you all. Good to be here with you all. Um, I'm excited <clears throat> excuse me, to share a little bit. Is this all right? Like it sounds quite echoey to me. It's good. Okay, awesome. Well, glad to be here. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I, most of you might know me, you might not know me, but I grew up in this church and then at, at the base, about the age of 25, almost 20 years ago, we embarked on a life of missions overseas and worked into cross-cultural ministry. We've been, we've served in Indonesia, we've served in Malaysia, Nepal, Cambodia, a variety of other countries. Now we have kind of global roles within our mission organization. Um, Caleb, can you throw up that slide for me, please? So World Outreach exists to evangelize and disciple unreached people groups, equipping them to disciple their own and other peoples. That is what we are about. We are about the unreached um, people who still remain. There's approximately 17,000 people groups in the world. Still about 7,000 7, of them are considered unreached or least reached. There is not a large enough indigenous community of believers amongst those people to continue the multiplication and the ongoing work of the gospel in that people group. And for that reason, we exist to bring that to disciple, to carry it forth, to fulfill the great commission. Can you go to the next slide? So World Outreach does this through our little acronym called REACH. Um, we raise leaders. We do a lot of leadership training and development of indigenous leaders, um, national workers. We do evangelism and church planting. That is our bread and butter. That's what we are all about, is evangelizing and disciple unreached people groups. We mobilize the whole world, believers from every people group, into missions, calling into the Great Commission. Each one of us has a role to play in that cause of the Great Commission. We have children's ministries where we um, have youth hostels, we have Sunday school programs, we have discipleship programs, children's homes, medical clinics, and those types of things to serve the children of the world and humanitarian aid where we come in and we work with people and help meet the physical and practical needs of people, not just the spiritual needs of people as it is a holistic gospel that, that Jesus proclaimed to us. So we have approximately 270 plus um, expatriates, mission workers, now, there's 650 plus national workers in our organization. We serve in 70 different countries and we're working amongst 165 people groups currently. Um, we have some pretty audacious goals moving forward and we are hoping, believing, trusting God and working hard to be by 2025 that we'll be engaged in 300 people groups around the world, which means we need to double our workforce, continue to invite people into this cause and missions to go forth. But we're excited. You can see on this little graph here, we, 2015, we were working in 85, 2020, about 150, currently about 165. And by 2025, we hope to be, as I said, in 300 people groups around the globe, serving and advancing the kingdom amongst those who have not yet heard and do not have access to the gospel. Next one, please, Kyle. So there's a couple of ways to get involved. You can go yourself. We have a lot of programs and opportunities to go, short-term trips, internships, um, 
variety of just programs that you can come and get involved in if you want to go. You can give, you can support the work, you can pray for us. We are trying to raise up a team of 10,000 plus people to be praying for the Unreached People group every single day. So if you'd like to join that team, I'm going to have a QR code coming up on the next slide where you can sign up to be a part of that and get prayer things. You can learn. We have a lot of resources on our websites on um, different aspects of missions and how to get involved and what you can do. And you can send, you can help support people going, being a community of believers, pastoral care, connecting with those on the field. So next slide, Caleb. So if you want to learn more, you can get out your phone and take a quick shot of that QR code, take you to a website and you can see it and get that information. Um, I want to continue in the themes that I've, the church and the community um, here has been walking in um, of this season. Um, we try and stay abreast of what's happening. We try and I listen to the podcast as much as possible. And I've been loving these ideas that have been coming over the last couple months. That's, um, you know, Aaron talked about this joyful partnership a few weeks ago about working together with the Holy Spirit, connecting with him. Stanley recently talked about, am I my brother's keeper, about Matthew 25, caring for those around us, being and doing um, the gospel together for those around us. And then last week, I really loved the, the panel discussion last week on the foreigner and the others serving the refugees. I lead a podcast for our organization, and I just last week, it published this week, uh, did a podcast on this exact same topic, biblical hospitality amongst the others amongst us. So if you want to check it out, you can go to that QR code and listen to it. It's quite good, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> um, I did it with a friend of mine, Dr. Jennifer. She just did her dissertation on biblical hospitality, and it was really good. There is a lot to learn from that conversation that took place last, last week, and a couple of things that I really resonated with is that we have a lot to learn from one another, from the others amongst us, people who are different from us, the broader Christian community. There's a significant um, amount that we can learn from each other. Most of us, as you study anthropology, as you study people, we are blind to our own culture. We do not see our culture. We do not see our strengths and weaknesses and our blind spots in our culture until we start rubbing shoulders with people who have different cultures. And so that interaction, that engagement with one another enriches us as they talked about that like, there's a learning there's a self-awareness there's a actual sanctification process that takes place within us as we work with other believers and other people outside of our normal community as iron shepherds iron scripture talks about there's that broader sense as we work with people we do that they also pointed out that we learn new attributes of god and his character of god as it is revealed through people as they are redeemed and become into his image because all people are created in the image of God. It's so true and it's so important. I know over the last 20 years that I've worked with people around the globe and with different people, there's so many characteristics of God that I'm learning as I spend time with them. The things that they value that I might not value is things that God has put into their hearts and we can learn from one another. So it's fantastic. The biblical hospitality that they were speaking about last week also requires sacrifice of ourselves it exposes us biblical hospitality is putting ourselves at risk of people who are different and a foreign to us but it is the only way to truly fulfill the great commandment to love god with all your heart 
and to love others as you love ourselves, unless we practice biblical hospitality. It is also the gateway to fulfilling the Great Commission as we go amongst and we welcome in people who are different than us into our own lives. Biblical hospitality is also a process of sanctification and maturity in our faith as we learn to trust God, as we interact with other people, as we learn to bring those expressions of who he is into our communities, welcoming in the other amongst us. We also then had the Global Day of Prayer last week. Glory mentioned it just now. This idea of the whole church coming together to worship, to pray, to seek God. Last week was Pentecost Sunday, and that's where I want to pick up our theme this week is Pentecost Sunday, the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we are his ambassadors to the world, to ambassadors of his kingdom. Empowered ambassadors is kind of what I've titled it. So our key text essentially is Acts 1.8, and we're going to look at that, and we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 14 through 21. So in, in Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was Jesus' instructions, his words of encouragement to his disciples, his followers at that time. Before he ascended into heaven, and he went away. So the disciples then went and did what Jesus said. They went and they went, you know, in Acts 2, we see they went the day of Pentecost. They were in the upper room, 120 plus people. They were praying all together in one place. The Holy Spirit comes down in the images, the flames of tongue. There's an empowering, there's a rushing of a wind. There's the speaking in tongues. There's the proclamation of the gospel. It says in um, uh, verse 8 that you know, the people are gathering here and they see this is uh, that is how each of us have heard it in our own language Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Familia. Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Jewsism, credence and Arabs, we hear them declaring the words of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So I want us to think about this a bit. Um, most of us are quite comfortable and familiar with the Holy Spirit, the idea of the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Um, the scripture teaches all about the Holy Spirit before in John 15, John 14, that he's a teacher. He reminds us. Give that, yeah. And he reminds us that he advocates and he helps on our behalf, that the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin and guides, guides people into truth, that he confirms our adoption as God's children. He gives revelation and he gives wisdom. He gives spiritual gifts. And he helps us overcome sin and live in the fruit of the spirits. We know all these things in the Holy Spirit. We know that this is what he does. And oftentimes as a church community, we relish in this area. We love to gather. We love to pray. We love to be with one another. We love to 
recognize our adoption as sons of God and his children. We love that he gives us wisdom and revelation. And we exercise our spiritual gifts within the community of believers. Um, and that we, we help each other and we spur each other on to good works and to overcome our sin and to live the fruit of the Spirit. But in this passage that, that Jesus tells them in Acts 1.8 and what the, the, the Holy Spirit is about in this moment and what he was doing by sending the Holy Spirit to them in Acts 2 was beyond just this. This is an element of it, but it's beyond that. And it's something that I think over years we kind of lose enthusiasm for. It says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's two key aspects to that verse. You will receive this power, the, the empowerment from the Holy Spirit. And that, that word empowerment there is the same, it's the word dunamis, the word that we get dynamite from. It is explosive. It is the characteristics of God power. It is the work of the spirit manifested, what we're seeing it. It's the human partnership between God and man and people becoming um, agents of God's work, signs and wonders taking place, miracles, demons being casted out, you know, prophecy, all of those things. So we love that aspect of the gospel, of, of the Holy Spirit's relationship with us. But there's that giant and right there right after the spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. We often, I'm guilty of this as well. We often neglect this part of this scripture to actually be the witness, the witness, the verbal proclamation of the gospel, the message of good news. That is the only way of salvation for mankind. We have a tendency to forget that part. We want to relish in those other parts that I talked about before. But it's a both-and situation here. There is the gifts of the Spirit for us, for our community, for our empowerment, for um, knowing God, for comfort, for all of those things. But it is for the others, those outside of our community who do not yet know the gospel, who do not yet have good news in their lives. Um, C.K. Barrett uh, says it this day, what is promised to the apostles is the power to fulfill the mission, that is, to speak, to bear oral testimony, and to perform miracles in, and in general act with authority. This power is given through the Spirit, and conversely, the Spirit in Acts may be defined as the divine agency that gives this power. The, to bear oral testimony. I think that's a great, great thing that we think about. How often do we actually speak out the gospel, the good news to somebody, the, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the new life that comes by knowing relationship with Jesus? They can't exist without each other. They don't exist. They're not intended to exist without both acts. The display of the power of God and the communication of the gospel message beforehand. Paul wrote that in um, Romans 15, 19. It says, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. 
It's a both and. We serve a very powerful God, a God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who has overcome this earth, who's overcome death and destruction. But we have to communicate this good news. Paul later goes on, how can they hear unless someone is sent and tells them? It is both and. And I think as a church, as a community, as believers, we need to recognize this both and more significantly. Um, myself included, there's so many people yet, still 7,000 people groups, 3.2 billion people who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's significant. But it's also the DNA and the, the, the community, the values of this church. I was talking to Stanley last week when I first arrived. And he's like, I'm still passionate today. I remember we came down from Montana to help start this church four decades ago to evangelize and disciple people in Salt Lake. I'm passionate for the lost. It's still here. It's still part of the community. It's still part of the DNA of this church. Now we have to continue to live it out. And for many of us, we're the next generation of people as it's being the baton is being passed on to the next generation to step up and to go on and carry forth this mandate of the church to make disciples in the Salt Lake Valley and beyond. We, um, the, the part of that scripture, you know, it says from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Those circles, are, it helps to kind of think of it as concentric circles, as an expansion of the gospel as it goes out in the immediacy of our families, in our neighborhoods, our community around us, could be considered your Jerusalem. Judea and Sumeria could be your city or your district. There's some unique elements that are conveyed in this idea of Judea and Sumeria, Judea as the bigger province, but Sumeria represented the different ethnic community within that one province. They were the Sumerians were different people. They were viewed as different people. They were outsiders. You know, the, the, we have the, um, all of these examples of the New Testament and um, of this. And so thinking of it from that bigger perspective and then to the ends of the earth, wherever that might be. It also helps sometimes to think of it um, So I'm going to go through a quick overview of the book of Acts. So you ready? I'm just going to speed read through the book of Acts. And that's the nice thing about teaching from an iPad. You can just go quick, quick. But Acts 2. So the first, the first part of the book, the first eight chapters is about Judea or about Jerusalem and the Acts of the Apostles there in Jerusalem. Then it expands beyond to Judea and Samaria and Acts 8 through Acts 12, and then we get into the ends of the earth, Acts 13, and beyond into the end of Acts 28. But there's some patterns that I hope to address to you. So, Acts 2, 14, Peter stands up and he addresses the crowd and says, we are not drunk, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gives the whole gospel message. You can read it for yourself, but he says, they, and then they're cut for the chase, it says, when the people all heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, Peter, Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. 
Peter stood up, addressed, spoke the gospel, gave specific instructions on what people needed to do. They believed, responded. 3,000 were added to that day. They baptized them. The birth of the church, Acts 2:42 through 37. We see them coming together, sharing around the apostles' teaching, praying together, sharing those in need, signs and wonders taking place, people added to the faith every single day. Acts 3, Peter and John go to the temple. They heal the blind man. They stand up before the onlookers and they say, by faith in Jesus, this man who you see has been made strong. In Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, you can all see. So fellow Israelites, he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come and that you may, that, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. They continue on into Acts 4 as he preaches this message. So many of them heard the message believed, so the number of who believed grew to about 5,000. Miracle, declaration of the gospel, growth of the church. You know all this, so he addresses, so then Peter stands up before the Sanhedrin, the people. He says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says to them, rulers and elders, again, tells the gospel message, people repent and believe. Acts 5, we have Ananias and Sapphira. Acts 6, the appointing, or se- yeah, the appointing of the seven, the apostles said, go and choose people who are full of the spirit and wisdom. And then it describes the men who they give the responsibility to. Um, and it says, so the word of God spread, the numbers of disciples increased, and the large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, Stephen, so this is a great thing. Stephen, who was one of the men who was pulled as a, a, to become a deacon to serve the greater church, says a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. The ability of the gospel proclamation and the signs and wonders was not limited to just the apostles, not just to the deacons. We begin to see it spreading out to more and more people that we are all believers empowered by God to perform signs and wonders, to act in the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So he does all these great things. The people stand up against him. He gives Acts 7 is a long passage of the history of creation all the way up to Jesus and his, his death, resurrection, crucifixion, you know, all of that and his coming back for salvation. The people stone him. And as he says, he's full of the Holy Spirit. As they start stoning him, he sees God all the way to death, signs, wonders, proclamation, even to the point of death. But it says many people then believed. It captured many people's hearts to believe. Acts 8, we have the great persecution taking place now. Paul, who was there at Stephen's thing, um, uh, stoning, was now here going around house to house and persecuting people. So the people scattered. Those who scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs they performed, they all paid close attention, who said, with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, many who were paralyzed and leaved. Were lame, were healed, and many believed, and there was great joy in the city. Are we seeing this pattern? People went, they acted in the power of the Holy Spirit, they proclaimed the gospel in a very clear way that people could hear it. The life of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his pathway to new life, and the church continues to expand. And that takes place all through Acts. I won't. Acts 9, we have Paul's, uh, Paul's, Saul's conversion becomes Paul, encounters. Acts 10, it now goes, Peter's praying, 
God speaks to him in his dream and vision. Cornelius then comes, they believe, they share, they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they begin to prophesy. They begin to speak of the goodness of God. They begin to speak of the gospel. Acts 11, same thing. Peter explains what happened. Acts 12, more miracles, miracles take place by God's intervention, by their partnership with the Holy Spirit, by their prayer, their communion, their focus on the Holy Spirit. They're broken from the, the cell. They proclaim the gospel to uh, the, the jail. People believe the church continues to grow. Acts 13, they're now in Antioch. Paul has been teaching with the others there for a year plus. They're worshiping, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. They traveled through the region, they preached, they, a sorcerer came, Bar Jesus came to see the gospel, wanted the power, saw them working signs and wonders of what God was doing. Paul filled with the Holy Spirit, then again looks at him, says, you can't have it like that, you will be blind. Blindness comes upon him. People saw, people repent, and the church continues to grow, and it continues to grow, and it continues to grow as Luke follows the disciples and the apostles through the region, sharing what takes place. And that must be our pattern. For us, that must be our pattern. We must partner with the Holy Spirit. We must desire a fresh empowering, a fresh encounter, a fresh renewal and strengthening of the Holy Spirit for our day-to-day lives, for empowered gospel witness so that we can witness, so that people who are lost in darkness can have an opportunity to hear the gospel. For those around us, our lost neighbors, family, friends can hear the gospel. It's a both and, and we need to live and work and move in that way. And then we are seeing this both in two levels. Um, can you go to that photo for me? So this is Isaac and Angela. They live in Nairobi, Kenya. That photo is over the Mercury um, slum in the center of Nairobi. Um, Isaac was born there. He grew up in there. We were just there in May and his house, and he showed us around. And he grew up in a house that is probably eight feet by 10 feet. That was his whole house, a family of five or six living in there. And he came into a relationship with Jesus as he got a little bit older. He and his wife, Angela, they run um, children's ministries. They run sports, soccer camps where they teach sports. And his heart now, as he's grown and he's, they run these discipleship programs, is right there in the slum where he grew up. They have a piece of property in the middle that they run children's camps from. They run discipleship programs for. And he's specifically reaching out to young men. Um, Most of us hear about a lot of the young women being neglected and misabused. But it's almost in Kenya, in Nairobi, where they're at, it's almost at the same level, the abuse of young men as women in sexual abuse and physical abuse. So they broke up, they grow up broken, they grow up hurting. He himself um, will share about that abuse that he's had to endure and has God's redemption and healing. But now his passion and their passion is to disciple these young men so that they can follow Jesus, so that as they follow Jesus, their families will then begin following Jesus and will be influenced and changed 
as each family begins to follow Jesus in that community, the slum and the environment of that slum will change. And he's looking beyond the slum. He's thinking the greater Nairobi as they begin to move out into other areas to work amongst them and to the rest of Africa. So for him, Acts 1-8 looks like that. I have been empowered to go into my community right where I'm in. And I'm thinking all the way to Africa and beyond the greater community as he works and grows and develops. In a southern country um, in Southeast Asia, in one of the communist countries there, we have a team, it's a closed nation. We have a team there that has been working for a few years and they are um, farming, they're doing farming projects so they can get into community, get access to the community. And recently, um, they were working with a family and one of the young disciples that went out, went to this village and um, they spent some time there and they noticed that there was a young man locked up in a chicken coop type cage, um, just a small, small box with slats. And he was a demon possessed boy and the community didn't know what to do with him. So they locked him into this box um, for his safety and for the safety of the community. So this, this gospel worker, he went and he started talking to the boy. He prayed for him, prayed for his deliverance. The boy was set free of the demon. He prayed for his salvation and the boy was saved. The family who typically, if anything like this was taking place, would persecute and abuse and beat and send people off because it was their own child and their own son and they saw the power of God to deliver him. They then started to believe and now in this closed village community up in the mountains, there is a small seed that has been planted of the gospel going forth by the, by the, de the demonstration of God's power of to deliver a young boy, but then the follow-up of the proclamation of the gospel power of that message of salvation. Our God who works on your behalf can save you from greater things than this, can save you from your sin, your lostness, and bring you into a life of a, a true life in him. So we are believing that as that seed has been sent, planted, that the Holy Spirit will continue to water it, to cause it to grow, that that community would continue to be reached as um, they grow in their faith there. It is amazing. It's awesome. It's awesome to see that God still works. And we, we see God work when we step out and do it, when we are intentional about following his commands to be filled with his Holy Spirit and to proclaim his good news. So this proclamation, um, the next slide there, there's this idea that says, we make no mistake Although the disciples did all the walking and talking and interacting with people that we find recorded in the book of Acts, the real work, the heavy lifting of convict, convicting, drawing, and renewing souls was done by the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that it indwelt Jesus during his earthly ministry and continues to indwell those who put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation today. It is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. We, in man's own strength and our own desire, maybe for whatever statue for fame, for acknowledgement, we cannot make these miracles happen. We cannot make the things of God take place in our own natural 
strengths and abilities. It has to be a partnership. It has to be a dependency on God to walk in rhythm with him, to be abiding in him, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Just like in Acts 10, where it said Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to Pete, uh, yeah, Peter to go to Cornelius. Later on, the Holy Spirit speaks to Paul to go to Macedonia, speaks and instructs. We have to in- tune our ears to the Holy Spirit, to his leading, to his guiding, to instruct us that we work in unison and together with him um, to see that gospel. Because the power that is there that was indwelling Jesus is now indwelling us as his people as those who have been called we are um, empowered with that same power to bring that message of jesus of salvation today so we got to paul the book of paul and acts and i want to jump us over to 2 corinthians 5 14 and 17 and kind of pick it up there and paul's personal conviction and his letter to the Corinthians about why he is doing what he's doing, why he is working in partnership, in partnership with the Holy Spirit as he goes out. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making this appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we look through that passage and the big picture of it, we see the gospel message there. In Paul's life, in his ministry, he was always referring back to the gospel message of Christ's work in his life and Christ's work on behalf of others around us. He was compelled by love. That idea compelled means constrained, restricted, forced into this. Most of us, I know a good portion of you in this room, have been walking with God for a long time. I wonder, is that same level of love of what God has done in our lives, that same work that he's done in his life, does it still draw out the same emotions as it did when we first believed, when it was a fresh work in our lives? Is that love compelling us today as it did when we first believed? Paul was compelled by this love. He was restricted by this love. It removed options for his life. It limited him to say, this is what I'm doing. I'm walking in this way. And each one of us have things that God has called us to do and expressions of this ministry of gospel workers, of empowered people um, in our work, in our schools, in our families, 
to demonstrate God's love, his power, and to proclaim the gospel. It has multiple expressions. We see that we are new creations in this passage. Again, what God has done for us, that we have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer our old self, but we are a new self in him, the gospel message. We have the blessed privilege to help remove people who are in darkness, who live without hope, who live without a future, who are dead but alive, living in a natural sense, but dead spiritually, to transform them, to bring them through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit into a kingdom of life, into a kingdom of hope, into a kingdom with a future for them. I love it. So God has given Paul this ministry of reconciliation. He has given Paul this message of reconciliation. God has given each one of us this ministry of reconciliation, this message of reconciliation, to go to whoever he puts before us to bring this to them. We are empowered to be ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are um, a diplomatic agent of the highest rank accredited to a foreign government or sovereign as the resident representative of his or her own government or sovereign appointed for special task, oftentimes for a period of time. But they speak on the behalf uh, at the the, the, they speak on behalf of the nation or the king that they represent. They go in that full authority. They become that representative. We have been privileged with that. We are ambassadors of Christ as his creation. We now have a diplomatic position. <laughs> we, have, we have been empowered. We have been given the authority to, to speak on the behalf of the kingdom of God, to represent him where we live our lives, where he has sent us. Some he has sent right here to Sandy. Some he has sent very far to another place. We've all been given an assignment, but we all have the same authority to execute the assignment that we've been given. And that comes through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So just as Paul implored them to repent, to be reconciled with God, we also have this task, this message to implore people to be reconciled back to God. We're privileged to live in the U.S., to be here where many, many people have already heard the gospel or have been exposed to the gospel. But there are still many, many in this world who have yet, not yet heard this gospel, who do not even know one follower of Jesus. Let us use this privilege well to continue to share this message with those around us and to continue to send people to go and send, bring this gospel message to those who have not yet heard. So let's jump back to Acts 1.8. We have been empowered, you and I, we have been empowered by the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives to be a witness. I want to challenge us 
as I wrap up here, I want us to continue to think, how do we intentionally foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit? How do we abide in him, John 15? How are we being filled, ongoing, fresh, so that we have fresh, living water flowing out of our lives? But then how do we be a witness to those around us, to our communities, to people that, he's got, that he has for us? Um, there's a, there's a, in a crew devotional campus crusade, they used, they're now called crew. Somebody wrote failure to witness for Christ with our lips is disobedience. Just as much as failure to witness by living holy lives is to disobey his command. I was reading that the last couple of weeks. That's pretty powerful. We give so much focus and attention to our behaviors, our sinful behaviors. Are we living holy lives? Are we representing that well? How often do we give attention to our actual communication of the gospel to others, our actual witnessing to our others, to those around us with our lips, that oral declaration? It's an act of disobedience if we are not declaring good news of Jesus. That's pretty sobering thoughts for me, for you, I hope as well. I want to challenge us to continue to live in this way, to continue to live in a way that is fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. That we are intentional about stepping out to pray for the sick, that we're intentional to step out and prophesy over people to pray for people, to ask God to intervene in a physical manifestation of his power on people's lives, but that we follow that up with an actual declaration of the good news of Jesus, because it is, is the only means of salvation for mankind. We are ambassadors. We've been given this task. We've been empowered to do it. I want to challenge us to go do it. I'm going to keep it simple and short today. This is the message of the gospel that God has given each one of us. If you need a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you've never personally encountered Jesus your own life um, We'll pray with you. I'll pray with you. We'll pray for a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life, a fresh empowering of the Holy Spirit so that you will walk in a manifestations of his power, but also in his communication of the gospel message. If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to share the gospel with you and pray with you and share with you. And I'm sure others on this team would. But I just want to conclude us there. I want us to remind us that the birth of, that we celebrated last week of the church, Acts Pentecost Sunday, was the birth of the church. And that church is still moving forward to this day. And each generation, each new believer, the baton is continued to pass to them. And we run this great race until Jesus Christ returns. Let us run without growing weary. Let us continue to do good. Let us continue to advance the kingdom wherever we're at. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll hand it over to Sarah. Lord, we thank you 
that we have been called, that we have been redeemed by you, that we are your children, that you have given, this, given us this special ministry of reconciliation, a message of reconciliation, the good news of Jesus, that we who were once lost are now your children in the kingdom of light. And we can share this same message to those around us, to invite them into your family, to invite them into your kingdom. God, we pray for a fresh empowering of your Holy Spirit on each one of us as we celebrated Pentecost Sunday last week. This empowering of the Holy Spirit to partner with you, to declare and to demonstrate your wonderful power and might around us but also, Lord, fill our mouths with your words, just as they prayed in Acts 4, that they would be filled with boldness and courage to proclaim your good news in spite of persecution, in spite of hardships around this. I pray that for us as well, that we would be filled with boldness and courage to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.